Happy New Year! If you're hearing this, you've survived my traps. And I'm very impressed by what you've done, to be quite honest. You vaulted over the flame trap, you dodged the falling piano, but you made one fatal mistake, my clever little friend. You willingly downloaded this podcast. You're in my domain now, you little fool. Are you ready? Are you truly? This week, it's Morgan Givens' flyest fables, and you are not prepared! That's coming your way right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Hello, and Happy New Year. Welcome back. New Year, same me. You look great, though. I was in New York, I was in New Orleans, and now I'm back in good old Washington, D.C., just in time for all the museums to be closed because of the government shutdown. But there is at least one good thing about Washington, D.C., and his name is Morgan Givens. He's a seasoned storyteller, a radio producer of recent vintage at WAMU, and the creator of today's program, Flyest Fables, an anthology series that Morgan started developing so his little nephew could have folktales that he wanted him to hear. So take high fantasy, a modern genre which has historically been the province of European folklore, a genre which we can pretty much say J.R.R. Tolkien invented with The Lord of the Rings. After spending a career translating Beowulf and reading the rings of the Nibelungs and the Old Norse Eddas, it's a genre that was inspired by northern European folklore. And as such, since high fantasy's creation in the early 20th century to the present, it has largely been the province of white dudes. I love fantasy, so does Morgan, but one of the things that's wonderful about Flyest Fables is that Morgan claims fantasy as his, makes it black and queer, and invigorates it with new life. Don't ever let someone tell you every story's already been told. If a person says that, that just means they've been listening to the same storytellers for too long. I'll tell you something else, too. It took me, like, a full minute and a half to realize Morgan did all the voices in this. He does the narrator, Antoine, Keisha, the bullies, all of them. It's all him. Let me get out of its way. Let's take a listen to the first two episodes of Flyest Fables. Here's the first. Like Little Mice Mocking His Humiliation. Antoine flew down the front steps of the school. So desperate to outrun the bullies that chased him each day, that he'd sprinted from math class before the final bell, even though he knew it would earn him a detention from Miss Spirits when she saw him the next morning. It didn't matter. Better the safety and relative solitude of detention than the battering of fists on his face, or the painful words that seared his soul. He wasn't strong enough to fight him, to win. And so instead, he ran down the momentarily silent hallways, Class ignoring the calls dismissed. of his teacher behind him. Antoine! Antoine, get back here! Running so fast that the ground should have caught fire beneath his feet, long before he exited double doors out front. After years of learning how to avoid his tormentors, he knew he'd be safe if he could just make it past the buses. Oh no! He could hear the other students streaming out of the school at the ringing of the bell. Maybe if he just tried to blend in, that might work. He pulled the hood of his sweatshirt up. All right, just like normal and everything will be absolutely okay. Yo, I think that's him. Hey, you're right, my man, you're right, come on. Antoine. 
Antoine! Everything is not okay! Antoine jerked at the shouts, peered over his shoulder. They'd spotted him, the three boys who'd been tormenting him since kindergarten. He could still taste the glue in his mouth he'd been forced to eat back then. Could remember being pushed into the pool in third grade, even as he tried to convince them not to. His computer had been in his backpack, his school books, everything. Then he'd walk the lonely, solitary trip back home, his shoes squeaking in his ears like little mice mocking his humiliation. Here he was in sixth grade, still fleeing from the same boys every day during the school year. He took off once more, hoping that maybe he'd finally outrun them today. It wasn't possible that they would always catch him. At some point, the universe would have to offer him a break, a peace offering of sorts, something to make him remember he had value to the world. He peered over his shoulder, a mistake he should have learned from due to his insatiable love for horror films. You never look behind you, cause soon as you do, well, that's when the bad guys will get you. And true to form, he tripped, falling so quickly it was almost as if some unforeseen hand of fate had reached up and grabbed hold of his ankle, sending him crashing, sprawling to the asphalt. I guess this is how it ends. Me, here, in the middle of a parking lot. Antoine sighed to himself, resigned to his fate, when his eyes fell upon a tear in the chain-link fence around in the school. A tear that hadn't been there earlier. He knew he'd been forced to hop that same fence just that morning when trying to escape the bullets on his way to school. If his asthma wasn't so bad, by this point, he should have been the school's best athlete. And he would have remembered a shortcut like that. Especially one where daisies bright yellow with life formed two neat little lines on either side of the gap, making a path. As if saying to him, Come on, silly. They're gonna get you any minute. He pushed himself up and ran to the fence, bursting through into the other side, pausing for a moment. He tempted fate once again and looked back. His tormentors had stopped running and stood, dazzled, in the parking lot. Where is he? Yo, how did he do that? He was, yo, he was just right here. He turned around, ready to break into a light jog, but his foot caught on a root, tweaking Seriously? his ankle, and he was forced to hobble along. The sounds of the school slipping away until he was cocooned in nothing but wilderness. This is... Is this park new? None of it looked familiar to him. And he was beginning to grow tired. The pain in his ankle stretching right along with his fatigue when he saw a bench. And on that bench was a book. Deep blue, inlaid with silver, his name etched across it in a gentle, flowing script. He gasped as he read, taking it in his hands, looked quickly around. Who left this here? Hello? But the only response was his own shaky breath and the quick whirring of his mind. Hello? 
He had to try calling again, but receiving the same silence in response, he turned to puzzling over what was clasped between his hands and opened the book. Inside, it was blank. He flipped it back closed to make sure it was indeed his name on the cover, and it was. Opened it once more, still blank. What's the point of some random book in some random forest on some random bench with my name on it if it's blank? (sighs) Man. And so, in his frustration, he did what he always does when overwhelmed by stress. Antoine opened his mouth and began to sing. Where do I go from here? Where do I go? I'm always bound by chains of fear, of fear. What must I do now I'm here? I don't know where to go from here. Whoa. The book began to warm in his hands, a comforting heat. And as he stared down, words began to fill the page. Sprinting with the same speed he used when he fled, the words popping into existence before his very eyes. Who's doing this? Again, no response. And so, he began to read, losing himself in the mysterious scrawl on the page. Keisha had left her home three weeks ago, triumphant and upbeat, the heralds singing her praises, trumpeteers lining the castle walls while the quartermaster shouted out last-minute instructions on combat. Her hand had flown to the emerald-encrusted sword that rested against her back, still safe in its scabbard, and she waved back in the direction of the quartermaster's voice, though it was quickly swallowed up by the throng of people who greeted her at the gate their voices mixing until they seemed of one cry, a cry of hope and continuation, their hands slapping her back as they wished her well. The fate of their kingdom rested upon her shoulders, and she squared them, bearing herself up proudly beneath it, eager to show she could be trusted to save her mother, to save them all. It would be a marvelous adventure. Days later, though, alone and trudging through the desert, she wondered if maybe she hadn't realized just how hard it'd be to reach her destination. Keisha had been warned all her life about the dangers that lay in wait in the desert. The scorpions with stings that lit a person's body with internal fire, and the hazy waves in the distance that played with her mind, making her see things that weren't really there. But the warnings couldn't have prepared her for the scorching heat or the thirst that cracked the back of her throat like the soil of the earth during a drought. How much longer am I supposed to do this? It didn't matter how long she walked, how closely she monitored the sun to stay on track. The mountain that jutted into the sky, sharp and fierce, surrounded by the evergreen oasis, never got any closer. In fact, The more she moved towards it, the further away it 
seemed to be. The seers had told her it would take no more than a week to reach the mountain, another week to reach its peak, and if she were lucky and followed their instructions, she could defeat the dragon that slumbered at its peak and recover the flower needed to heal her mother, the Queen of Orleans. Her mother had been too weak to see her off, but it clasped her daughter's hand to her chest as she lay in bed. I am so proud of you. I know that you can do it, Keisha. You can save me, but you must stay focused once you leave. Pay attention, pay attention to what the seers say to you. She'd nodded, too overcome by emotion to respond. However, it now appeared that the seers couldn't actually see everything. The trip had been plagued by misfortune her provisions were running low. The water she'd packed might last her another day, too, if she deprived herself further. She pressed on still. The sword her mother had given her weighed heavy on her back, the scabbard digging into her shoulder blades, and she sighed, frustrated, tired, and alone. Lots of good this thing'll do me if I never make it. The sand was everywhere now. It scraped against her, embedded in her clothes. Its grit filled her mouth, dried out and stung her eyes until every blink was a small agony. She didn't understand. It didn't make sense. She'd been so careful to listen to the instructions from the seers. She'd never veered once from her path, and yet she felt stuck. The oasis still so very far away and at her back, lost on the edge of the horizon, was home. At the end of the first week, on her own, in the darkness of the desert, while the stars twinkled brightly in the sky as if in conversation with one another, Keisha had curled up next to the flames of her small fire and turned her back to the mountain. She'd stared off across the distance at the light of the Kingdom of Orleans, filled with life the people of the kingdom still happy. Nobody knew how ill the queen was. Just Keisha, the palace doctor, and the seers. And it was up to her to figure out how to save her mother. It's impossible. The weight of her task had finally hit her. To think that I could, that I'm able, it's a joke. The words swirled around in her mind filling her head with a pained clamor until she finally drifted off to sleep. She awoke the next morning, throwing off the blankets that staved off the late night desert chill, unable to believe her eyes. Keisha scrambled to her feet, looked wildly around. She was back home, less than a day's ride away from the gates of Orleans. There was no mistaking it. Keisha could smell the fresh-caught fish at the market, could hear the gentle lull of the merchant setting up shop. All in a night's sleep. How could such a thing be? She knew the desert between the Kingdom of Orleans and the Evergreen Oasis was filled with magics unexplained, but this one, the seers didn't tell her about. They never let on. A soft hum of anxiety spurred by possible failure began coursing through her. What on earth is happening? How am I... 
Okay. Keisha was nothing if not determined. And so, she set off again. The pomp and circumstance of her initial departure, no more than a hazy memory that gnawed at her, reminding her of just how many people would be disappointed if she were to fail. By the end of the second week, her sword scabbard had rubbed her shoulders raw until she'd been forced to wear it about her waist. Some evenings, she was so afraid to awake at the gates of Orleans that she'd taken to walking through the night, grabbing only a few moments of rest. A few moments before the sun crested over the sand dunes and woke her once more. Except it didn't seem to matter. Whenever she lay down, facing home, no matter how far she had walked, how long she'd gone without sleep, she awoke a day or so away from the gates, an exhausting sprint away from the home where she'd spent her entire life. All the while, her mother grew sicker, and the kingdom's dependence on her grew stronger. The beginning of the third week, Keisha pressed herself up from the ground. I can do this. I know I can. I just, I just have to figure out how. She hadn't slept in three days and took a small sip of water, began gnawing on a tiny piece of fruit and headed once more towards the mountain. Her eyes locked like an eagle on its shape in the distance. Even as she watched her destination, she couldn't help but be pulled back towards her past, could hear the quartermaster lecturing her during one of their sparring sessions, always lecturing with words that lashed her ears and sharp stings from the flat end of his blade when she missed a parry, overlooked a counterattack, failed in her training. And the quartermaster was swift as a sparrow. I am not behind you. Why do you spend so much time there? You could be. You're so fast. And it was true. The quartermaster was, well, a master of distracting her just long enough for what, in the heat of real combat, would be a fatal blow. Keisha would whirl and spin, ducking under his attacks, lost in the moves he'd made before, the embarrassing ways he'd defeated her before, and she would lash out when she saw an opening, coming so close to victory, only to have it dashed by the hiss of the quartermaster's boots behind her, and she would spin to defend her back, only for him to strike her from the front. You're cheating. Is it cheating? Or do you spend far too much time pondering over the past? Learn from it, Keisha, but don't get lost. She could almost feel his disappointment now, could see his brows scrunch together as if wondering whether she were actually a princess. And if she were, did she have what it took to accomplish the quest? It would be so easy to turn around, to go back home and admit defeat. And she so wanted to. The mantra echoed like a song in her head, coming to her from across the desert winds. Turn around, turn around. There's something there behind you. Turn around. Turn around, this thing, it will defeat you. Keisha shook her mind clear and kept her eyes solidly on the mountain that seemed so large and immovable. The mountain that held the salvation of her mother and the entire kingdom of Orleans. My mother, who's the entire reason I'm here. 
I will not turn around. She put one foot in front of the other, banishing the voice from her mind that implored her to look back for just one brief moment. My mother, who will die if I fail. She took another step. She believes in me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Keisha whirled in place, could feel her heartbeat thrumming in her ears before she sank to her knees with relief. I don't understand. How was I... But I was just... The evergreen oasis had been days away on the horizon. And now? Now she was deep inside of it, kneeling at the edge of a small pond that was fed by the rush of a waterfall as water flowed from the mountain's icy peak. She peered around, still disbelieving, lost in the lush greens nestled around her, plants that lay low to the ground with leaves that seemed to open up towards her as inviting as a hug and the butterflies that danced around her in welcome, their silver wings leaving trails of glitter behind them as they flew. This is incredible. I This is incredible. This is incredible. Antoine sighed in annoyance and frustration at the interruption and pulled his phone from his pocket. The story had just started getting good, too. He glanced down at the caller ID. Oh, dang. And he answered quickly, knowing better than to make them wait. Hey, Mom. Antoine. Antoine, where are you? At school? Near the bus parking lot? It is 6 p.m. I am at the school. You most certainly are not. I'm driving back around then now. Don't you move. He hurriedly stood, moving as quickly as he could towards the tear in the fence hissing with pain as he put pressure on his tender ankle. His mom pulled up alongside the fence just as he stepped through. Mom? Baby, how did you... How did you do that? Huh? I was looking, and you weren't there. And then, you just were. He turned to point back behind him. I came through that hole in the... The hole was gone, as if it had never been. The fence patched good as new and his jaw dropped. Mom, I swear, I was just right there and... Get in the car. We'll talk about it later. You've got to believe me. I went through this hole because I was getting chased, okay? And there were these bullies. And then once I got inside, there was this book now, that I just... Now, Antoine. Okay. He walked around and climbed inside. Even though he knew he was in trouble. And his mother was furious with worry. He couldn't keep the smile from spreading slowly across his face as he ran his fingers over his name, his name, in that gentle, flowing silver script across the cover of the book. And here's the second episode of Flyest Fables. Do I look like one of your little friends? Antoine walked down the sidewalk towards the school, clutching his book in his hands, itching with excitement to lose himself in the words that reached through the page to lay healing hands on his soul. He tried to read yesterday after getting home, but his mother simply wouldn't let him be. As soon as his eyes drifted towards the book, here she'd come again with more questions than he had answers to give. Antoine, I need you to be honest with me. 
Where were you for so long? In the park, Mom. I promised that's where I was. Then why didn't I see you a single time? Do you know how many times I circled that school looking for you? How does it make it my fault that you didn't see me? His mom leaned back from the dinner table, and her brows drew together in a deep frown. Do I look like one of your little friends? Mom, I didn't mean... I said, do I look like one of your little friends? Antoine sighed and lowered his eyes. He wasn't trying to be disrespectful. He just wanted her to believe. I'm sorry, Mom, but that's really where I was. I was just sitting there reading. That's all. Her face softened as she looked at her son, ran her eyes over his features. I'm sorry, too. I shouldn't have been so short with you. Just anything could have happened. The world can be so dangerous, especially for people that, for kids that look like you. She paused then, took a deep breath before reaching across the dinner table to grasp her son's hand. I didn't mean to worry you. I was just, I was reading. <laughs> you, you were reading? Little boy, you want me to believe you lost track of time reading? Antoine, baby, you ain't never read a thing you didn't have to. Seeming to think better of it, she paused and looked into his eyes. Yeah, it's the coolest book ever. He jumped up from the table and ran to his backpack that leaned against their dining room wall. Antoine rummaged around and pulled out the book, unable to stop the flood of happiness that spread within him as he looked at his name on the cover. He handed the book to his mom, and she puzzled over it, turning it around in her hands, and pursed her lips. See? And I was sitting in the park, and it just started writing itself. And Mom, it felt like I was right there in the book. And there's this princess named Keisha who's on this quest to save the kingdom Baby, of... Baby, this is just a ratty old book. What? No! My name is right there on the cover. The worried look returned to his mom's face. Antoine, it's blank. She opened it, and her eyes ran unseen over the words that stood out so brightly to Antoine that they may as well have been written by the rays of the sun. You can't see it? Antoine! Antoine! Antoine jumped, sucked back into the present so quickly he was nearly disoriented. He blinked. Oh, hey Marcus. He waved and walked over to say hello. Marcus was in the same place that he sat every morning as Antoine headed to school. His change cup was placed squarely before him while he sat cross-legged in the middle of the sidewalk. A sign propped on his knees that read, Military Vet, Homeless, Looking for Work. Any little bit helps. You seem a little lost there. You all right? Yeah, I'm okay. Oh! He reached into his backpack and pulled out a sandwich. He packed one every morning on his way to school, just for Marcus even though it meant that his mother was constantly scratching her head as she stared into the refrigerator, completely puzzled. Where on earth did all that sandwich meat go? I just bought it. Marcus took the sandwich and dapped up his friend. Thanks, little man. Go ahead and get to school. I'll be here tomorrow. Okay. He waved and headed back towards the school. He wasn't too far away now and should really be on the lookout for the bullies. 
but he just couldn't help himself. And so he opened the book and began to read. Keisha had splashed gleefully in the pond, the cool water as refreshing as the kiss from the sea. And it reminded her of home. The fish in the pond weren't like any she'd ever seen. Rainbow colored, with sparks of light that turned the water into a shimmering fireworks show. And some of the fish even jumped from the water, floating, their fins like wings as they looked at her face, curious. They flew so close to her she could smell them, and they smelled of flowers and her favorite fruits. One of the fish, its eyes sparkling like rubies, smelled of strawberries, and another, with bolts of yellow down its side, smelled of the freshest mangoes. She'd reached out to pet them, but chirping, they dove back into the water, swimming around her ankles. Come on, stop that. That tickles. Keisha had wanted to rest after her swim, to sit down at the water's edge and lose herself in the world around her. It was so inviting. But she knew she couldn't, not with her mother and the entire kingdom of Orleans waiting for her, depending on her. When she walked back to where she left her sword, a small chipmunk with deep purple fur that looked soft enough to bury her face in and eyes the color of lilacs, had been staring at her sword. Its head was cocked to the side, and it reached out a paw to touch it. Don't do that. It's very sharp, she'd warned the tiny creature, speaking before she could catch herself. The chipmunk looked up at her, eyes wide. Thank you so much. I didn't know. <laughs> You're welcome. Are you... a human? The chipmunk walked closer, reached out and patted her leg. It's touched so light she wouldn't have known to feel it if she hadn't been able to see. I am. Oh my goodness! I can't wait until I can tell the others I saw you! The tiny creature turned and began to scamper away. Wait! Yes? It looked back over its shoulder. I need your help, please. It waddled back up to her. Okay, what is it? I need to get to the mountain's peak. I need to see the dragon. Oh no, 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 no. The chipmunk raised its paws and clutched its round face. You can't go see the dragon. It's not safe. It could hurt you. It's the only option I have. If I don't get the flower it guards, my entire kingdom will slowly disappear and my mother will die. I'm going whether you help me or not, but the faster I get there, the better a chance I'll have. Keisha locked eyes with the tiny creature, silently imploring, hoping against hope that it would hear and trust her. The chipmunk sighed, its little shoulders drooping. If you insist, follow me. Keisha hurriedly grabbed her bag and followed the chipmunk into the deep brush of the oasis. Grateful it was so brilliantly purple that she wouldn't lose track of it as it moved, dashing over roots, chirping and chittering to itself the entire time they walked. Before too long, it stopped and pointed to a swirling translucent tornado that she could nearly see straight through. And the tornado stood in the shadow of the mountain. Keisha had to lean back, trying to see where it ended but it disappeared into the fog that shrouded the mountain's peak. What's that? The Windspire, 
It'll take you to the dragon. But I really don't think you should go. She knelt, and the chipmunk padded over, placed its paws against her knee. I'll be okay. I promise. You shouldn't promise things you can't know will be true. <laughs> You're right. But I will try my best to be okay. Thank you for your help. What's your name? She asked as she stood once more. Chipper. Well, it was lovely to meet you, Chipper. Keisha began walking towards the windspire, could feel the air whipping around her the closer she got, pulling at her hair and beginning to dry her eyes. And you? Who are you? Me? I'm Princess Keisha. And with a final wave, she stepped inside. The ground disappeared from beneath her feet as she shot rapidly skywards, and the wind rushed past her, filling her head with a roar, and just when she thought she could take it no longer, it stopped, and she was unceremoniously dropped onto an icy patch of snow. Oh, come on. I should have asked Chipper how that thing worked first. But what was done was done, and she could do nothing but learn and move on. Keisha pushed herself up from the ground and gasped at the sight. The entire world seemed open to her, laid out as though she were looking down at a map spread across a table. There's home. She could see the kingdom of Orleans, felt that old bit of self-doubt nipping at her heels, and she looked away, turned her eyes towards the dark ice cave in front of her. I am so proud of you. I know that you can do it, Keisha. Her mother's words came back to her, reminding her of the song she used to sing when she was small, running through the city of Orleans, dashing between and around the people of the kingdom, all dressed in the bright colors for which Orleans was known. I can do this. I know I can. I can do this. I will make this stand. I'll hold my ground and I'll see this through. I owe my kingdom. I owe myself to. I can do this. I know I can do this. Keisha stared into the gaping darkness of the cave trying to ignore the hammering of her heart in her chest. She could feel the ground shake beneath her feet as the dragon approached, could smell the smoke and flames as it drew nearer, and then its eyes in the darkness, bright orange and dancing with fire, its body still shrouded in shadow. Who are you? Keisha swallowed and took a step forward. I am Princess Keisha of the Kingdom of Orleans, and you have something I need. Why would I ever give you anything when you have always... Oh, no. Antoine had been shoved from behind and tumbled to the ground. He looked over his shoulder. There they were, the same bullets from yesterday. And he felt a ball of pained fury well up in his chest until his eyes were pricked with tears. And his book, his book lay partially in the mud. You gonna cry about it? <laughs> yeah, he about to cry, yo. Look at him. Y'all, come on. This ain't even worth it today. 
Antoine stayed where he was. Having walked all the way to school reading, he'd forgotten to be on the lookout for those boys. And they'd gotten the jump on him. He reached out and picked up his book, gingerly wiping the mud and dirt from the cover and brought it to his chest, waiting for their footfalls to fade away before he pushed himself up from the ground and finally let the tears fall. Antoine turned around, head lowered, and began to head back home. He just couldn't seem to do it today. Except the book began to vibrate in his hands. He stared down at it, then looked back up towards the school. I can do it. I know I can. Wiping away the tears that coursed down his cheeks, Antoine continued on his way to school. If you want to support Morgan's work, you can follow him on Twitter at Optimus underscore Mo. You can subscribe to Flyest Fables on your favorite podcasting platform, and you can review his work. And stick around for next week when I talk to Morgan about his history and his process and why he's so cool and so good. I think you'll love it. Morgan's a very compelling storyteller, as you have just seen. If you want to support our work, head to patreon.com slash radiodramarevival, where you can join people like Tim and PJ and Lance. How have I not been doing on-air thank yous? Okay, New Year's resolution, we thank all the people. You can join Tim and PJ and Lance in bringing about the curation of great stories and interviews with wonderful creators like Morgan. Thank them, thank him, and thank you. Radio Drama Revival is brought to you by listeners like you, and also by Beans. Yes, Beans. I pick up beans every time I travel. On the recommendation of my friend Christian, I went to Calustian's in New York, which is a legendary spice shop that's mentioned in the back matter of, like, half the cookbooks I own, and I got some spices there. Sure, yes, obviously, but you know what else I got? Beans! When I was in New Orleans, I got Camellia brand red beans, because I'm no fool! I love beans! Send me your obscure local beans! Tweet me your favorite beans. We are at Radiodrama on Twitter. Right now, I'm into Jacob's Cattle and Ayocote Morados from Rancho Gordo. Radio Drama Revival is also brought to you by Illness. I have a cold, and I hope you could not tell, but my voice is very scratchy. And right after this, I'm going to have a NyQuil and pass the hell out. Happy New Year, be kind to yourselves, and now, our credits. Our theme music is Danger Did You Do by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreaux. Our interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreaux. Our social media manager is James Oliva. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhalge. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm not dying.